Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Talking in Circles. Clayton Caldwell here, John Harlow from SpeedwayMedia.com as well. We bring you another great episode of Talking in Circles. We will review the Texas 500 from the Texas Motor Speed, what it was called, Edwards' 28th career victory, and anything controversy, of course. uh, We'll talk about that. Um, Also, we'll preview the Can-Am 500 from Phoenix International Raceway, the third race of the Round three of the Chase of NASCAR Sprint Cup. The race before championship will give you our championship four to join Jimmy Johnson and Carl Edwards. Also, stunning news this morning coming out. Uh, the silly season news. Brian Scott announced that he will retire at the end of the 2016 NASCAR Sprint Cup Series season. We'll dive into that. And we'll take your phone calls at 917-889-8280 here on Talking in Circles. But first, John, let's start with the AAA Texas 500 from the Texas Motor Speedway. Like I said, it was Carl Edwards' 28th career victory. Had a decent car all day. I don't think it was the fastest car. I think that went, definitely went to Joey Logano, and you kind of feel for Logano that Mother Nature wasn't on his side. Edwards was leading with 41 laps to go. The rains came, and Carl Edwards was was credited with the victory at Texas Motor Speedway. Your thoughts on Texas, Texas 500, John Harlow, from uh, Sunday night? Okay, there's three things that go into the Texas race that really I'm thinking about. First of all, the package sucked. There was very, it was a blah race. There was nothing to write home about. Um, Joey took off, ran away with it for a while. Then pit stops came up. Everybody was short pitting because the track is worn the way you want it to, but, and, they had so many sets of tires that they could short pit, and whoever got in a lap earlier got the lead, and they wound up hanging on to the lead. And the last, the money pits, Carl Edwards' team just were dead on with it. Uh, second thing with the with the race, it sucked the way the weather took care of it. And it would take another two hours to drive the track, so you understand that NASCAR called it when they did. But they had the same problem with the IndyCar race earlier in the year. Texas needs to repave bad. They need a new drainage system. They need everything because you can't let weepers control. I mean, they could have started the race a couple hours earlier, but because they had so many weepers coming up, they could never get the track dry. And the third thing out of the race, I really got to watch what – Austin Dillon and Kevin Harvick do at Phoenix because of what happened with this race. You could hear it when they showed they had Harvick's in-car camera that he did let up off the gas when Dillon cut up in front of him and Harvick still got him in and tapped him and he went around. But Slugger Labby said, write that number down because next week he needs a win for a championship. So there could be payback there. Austin Dillon made sure he brought the silver spoon out whenever he came after the race. Texas, for me, package and new drainage system and watch out for Harvick and Austin Dillon next week. Yeah, listen, I, I agree. I think Austin Dillon and Harvick, that's going to get a lot of play for sure. But, you know, I thought it was one driver who certainly had uh, the setup, hit the setup correctly, and that was Logano and his team. They absolutely uh, hit on a setup. And clean air, again, was, was king. I think 
you know, this down this lower downforce package has been good this year. But I think now, as we've gotten, you know, we've run a lot of races with it. This will be the 35th race on Sunday with a lower downforce package at Phoenix International Raceway. I think teams have found some downforce. They found a way to get downforce. NASCAR's taking even more downforce away next year uh, because they like the way the Packers ran. I think in the, earlier in the year we saw some really good races. I, I think the Packers this year in the mile-and-a-half tracks is a lot better than where it was a year ago, even two years ago. I think clean air is a, is a major issue. Will you ever get a package that will never – clean air will never be an issue in the mile-and-a-half tracks? I doubt it. Um, but I think you should, try, you, could, you should always strive to work that way, always, absolutely, um, and, and not stop until you, until you get the package as good as can be. 917-889-8280 here. If you want to join the conversation on anything we're talking about here on Talking in Circles, but what a clutch win it was for Carl Edwards. You know, I know it was controversy in the rain. We'll get into that in a second. But, you know, he needed to win. And uh, he was able to go out there and do that. And now there's three Joker's racing cars vying for two spots when they, they really wanted to get everybody in. It looked like Edwards, uh, with his tobacco at Martinsville, was not going to be into to the chase. Now he's in the chase. Uh, so crazy, um, you know, crazy race at Texas for Carl Edwards. But I want to get your opinion about this rain. I've, I've read a lot of stuff this week. Um, you know, NASCAR short, should change the rule. Um, listen, ever since I've been, I can remember NASCAR's had this rule where it goes to halfway, um, it's a completed race as long as rain comes. What, how, how do you feel about this rain? Do you think NASCAR needs to create like a, a, a different rule in the chase to make sure chase races aren't affected as much? Because this format, it does kind of look kind of weird that Carl Edwards, and listen, he got the win, but it looks weird that you can sit there and say, well, he didn't have the best car. It just seems almost a little unfair to Joey Logano that Logano didn't have a chance to really strut his stuff there in the remaining 40 laps. But what, what are your, what's your take there on, on this rain situation at Texas Motor Speedway. Well, what made Carl a hero this week made him a goat last year. At Phoenix last year, the next the race to get to Homestead, same thing happened. The fastest car on the track that day was Kevin Harvick. But the rains came and Junior was out in the lead. And Carl Edwards had just came out of pit road, so Carl was back in the back and never got a chance to race his way back in where he could have made it to Homestead. So... Um, one of those things that you have to deal with. You can't just say we're going to run all 500 miles come hell or high water because if they postpone it to the next day, then you've got TV to worry about. Nobody's coming back to the track because people got to go back to work on Monday. It just is one of those things where you have to live with the circumstances. Unlike most of the other stick and ball sports or everything you can play football and no matter what no matter what the weather is as long as it's not lightning baseball they play some in the rain but they know if they go past the fifth inning and it rains the game's over they'll try everything in their power to do it in the world series to run it till one two in the morning but if it rains and they can't play it again it's done if you're five, right. four and a half innings, if you got the lead, or five innings and you're the home team, or five innings if you're the visit, you got to go five innings if you're the visiting team in the in the lead. If it rains after that and they can't come back, game's over. And yeah, and it's one of those things you just have to deal with it. I mean, weather's the weather. You can't 
run these cars at 200 mile an hour at Texas Motor Speedway on slick tires and hoping that you don't crash. You just can't do it. They were running a couple laps when it started to rain at the end of the race. I was surprised that they kept running as long as they did. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. I think NASCAR obviously is in a different scenario than every other sport because of the fact that they have to drive the racetrack. You know, baseball, yeah, they can play on on, on uh, it's raining systems in the outfield, so it's better than when they've ever been, but they can play on damp turf. They can play on a damp. NASCAR, you really want it to be 100% dry, and that's including pit road and everything like that. And I would hate to see, John, a race that NASCAR had to hurry to finish. And let's say, you know, Carl Edwards goes into turn one, trying to hurry to finish the race to get it done, and spins and takes out Joe Logano, and we get a crazy winner who finished fifth on the race when they really shouldn't have. Here's where I think NASCAR needs to do a little bit better in. And I think we saw this in the World Series. If you remember, a World Series game started uh, an hour earlier. And I think NASCAR needs to figure out a way to say, you know what? Let's try and get these races in where we can get running this entirety. If it looks like a washout Sunday night, and they say, well, Sunday, and they go, well, we can still only get it, we, we can get it to halfway, and we want to get it to halfway. I think NASCAR needs to make a call and say, listen, it's going to be raining. We don't want to even take the risk. We'll just run it on Monday. We'll have a clean race, we'll have a fair race, we'll have everything you want to have, but it's just going to be on Monday. I think NASCAR needs to do that a little bit better. If, if a start time needs to be pushed up an hour the day before the race, I think they need to do that as well because I think that would help that. Um, but they were in a really tight spot. I don't think it was a good idea for, for just for safety issues for to go out there at 3 o'clock in the morning when everybody's been there all day long. All the drivers have been there all day long. All the spotters have been there all day long. NASCAR's been there all day long. To run a race at 3 o'clock in the morning, to finish the last 40 laps at 3 o'clock in the morning, I know these guys are professionals, but they're also human beings. And take into consideration as well that we had Phoenix the next weekend, and that's an a West Coast racetrack, and these teams have to go all the way across the country to run Phoenix and get ready for practice on Friday. So that was another thing to keep in mind. It's unfortunate. It stinks. It stinks Mother Nature plays a role into this, and I think that's that's a, a very big problem with this chase format that we have is that a rain race like this can be such a, a an important uh, factor in a championship race. But at the end of the day, I think NASCAR made the right call. I think they had to do that. Um, I, and, and I agree with you. I think it would have been really dumb to kind of go out there and just say, let's race to race to finish it up. Um, you know, and we see competition cautions after 40 laps. And we would have probably had to see one again um, just to check tire wear. And, again, it, was, it just to me would have been a disaster. So I think NASCAR made the right call. But the only thing they could do, John, I think, is maybe try and get a race when they, when they run these things, say we're going to run it to our entirety not to halfway. I think they look at what we can get to halfway. It's over. They need to say, let's try for the fans and for the legitimacy of our championship to run it the full distance. And if we have to do that on the Monday, let's do it on the Monday. Without a doubt. But I mean, things they also might want to look at is the possibility of doing it Saturday. Yeah, maybe, Saturday is a you beautiful know, day. Yeah. But, I mean, the other thing is you've got – NBC paying a billion dollars right. for a ten-year radio contract or ten-year contract. See, John, we're losing. Oop, you're, you're, you're breaking up, John. John, you're breaking up a little bit there for us. Um, if we can, we'll try and get you back into. Uh, in, if you, Is we that can better get now? You back there, you yes, much better. Okay, uh, they have a yeah. You're right. They have a television contract with NBC that pays them a lot of money to be out there for sure. 
And NBC wound up, originally they were planning to run it on big NBC at 2 in the afternoon Mm -hmm. as their lead into Sunday night football. And because of the weather and because of everything else, they had to run it on NBCSN. They didn't start the race till almost 7.30. The one thing NASCAR could have done instead of running about 20 laps before they went green-yellow, they could have went green-yellow to start and counted those 20 yeah. laps. I hate that. That's <laughs> my personal opinion. Again, I think it would have been better maybe if they sat there and said, well, we're going to try and run this to halfway. You know, Maybe they thought when they started this that they were going to get the whole thing in, but, it's, you know, I would have liked to see them run on a Monday if Monday was clear and say, you know what, let's run it on Monday, let's get it clear. And I know they, and the thing is, this one is, an, is a rare rarity because, again, you had Phoenix the next week. I think everybody was kind of, you know, you have to go all the way from Texas back to North Carolina and then back to Phoenix, and you have to do it by Friday because that's when practice qualifying is for the Cup guys. So I, I think that had a major issue to do it. And I'm not saying they should have done that this week, but – for the future, if you've got a race where, you know, maybe Martinsville and, and the following weekends, uh, a closer racetrack, say, let's run on a Monday because, you know, yeah, that that we, we'd like to have that extra day, but we don't necessarily need it. We want to get to completion. I think that would be good. Uh, but I think Phoenix had a lot to do with it. 917-889-8280. I want to touch on something now, John, that you touched on earlier in the show, and that's Austin Dillon, Kevin Harvick's situation. I thought Dillon, and rightfully so, listen, this kid is – uh, an opportunity to win his first race in the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series. He's had a pretty good year. He made the chase. Um, I thought he drove very aggressively at the end of those, that race. If you remember, he also almost wrecked with David Reagan. He spun, but he, he almost hit the wall when he made contact with David Reagan, which I thought Dylan kind of came down and uh, just didn't see Reagan. And then he ha- had the issue with Kevin Harvick. Now, I thought, like you said, Harvick let off the gas, and completely um, tried to get out of Dylan, not touch Dylan, but Dylan was loose. But I thought, again, I thought Dylan drove completely hard, and rightfully so. It, it, it's the closing stages of a race where he could win. I felt bad for him because, um, you know, he's had a good year. It was a chance for him to win it. But, you know, he's still learning out there. He's still a young kid. He's still, you know, he doesn't run up front like this ever in his career in a Cup Series. So, you know, you learn some things when you're up front. Um, but, do you think Harvick should be worried this weekend? He, listen, he's coming in as the favorite this weekend at Phoenix, uh, no doubt about it. I mean, he's, he is phenomenal here. Uh, this is his type of racetrack. Do you think he should be worried about potential payback from Austin Dillon? Do you think Richard Childress Racing would do something like that to affect the championship run? I really don't think so. I think Harvick said all the right things after the post-race when he said he does like racing with Austin, he said he tried to get out of the way, he tried to let up. Um, he just came across him. It was a racing deal. I think Harvick played it as well as you could because Harvick could have easily said that dumb SOB cut cut me off, and he went in the wall. I mean, just picture Stewart in that post-race. The dummy cut me off. I told him I showed him where he needed to be. But Harvick played it right. He knows that Phoenix is do or die for him because he's far enough back that he'd have to hope that all the Joe Gibbs cars blow engines in the first hundred laps because there is nobody falling out of races anymore unless you have a Daytona or Talladega where there's a decent-sized wreck. I mean, at the end of the race, there's still 35 cars running most of the time. It's not even like you got the field fillers dropping out to 
because there's no field fillers anymore. Everybody's got a charter or right. four cars that don't. I mean, it's not like that. I wish, I mean, I think Harvick will be fine. I think Harvick will talk to Austin. I think Harvick even played it right with Slugger where he said, sometimes Slugger says things that he really shouldn't. I mean, I think they, Harvick played it right. I think Richard Childress uh, respects the sport enough that he's not going to tell his grandson to go out there and get some payback whenever Harvick has a chance to win a championship. Even though Stuart Haas is leaving the Chevrolet camp for Ford, it's still a championship for Chevrolet if they end up winning it this year. And Chevrolet and Richard Childress have a longstanding relationship, and Richard Childress gets factory support. So I don't think Richard Childress is going to do anything to take away the chances of Chevy to get a championship. I, I agree. I think Richard's too classy for that. I think that, that organization is too classy for that, for sure. Um, you know, and – Hey, I think it was a racing deal on both of them. That's what it comes down to to me. Even the Reagan deal with Dylan, I think definitely the Harvick deal with Dylan. You know, obviously there's some uh, history between the two and between Harvick and the, and the Richard Childress Racing Organization. Um, but I don't think that had anything to do with what happened on Sunday night. I just think it was a racing deal. And, you know, for Austin Dillon, you learn, I, I think it's a big step if he doesn't uh, retaliate. I think it's a good step for that. But obviously if you filed away, he said, hey, listen, he drove me into the corner. As hard as he could, you know, maybe you do that with Kevin Harvick uh, next year in the regular season. You remember that stuff. You don't give him the break that maybe you would have given him. I'm okay with that. And I think maybe Harvick might be okay with that as well. But don't intentionally wreck him. And, you know, there could be some retaliation for Dylan. He could be suspended the race at Homestead because we saw that with the big deal when um, Kansas intentionally wrecked Logano at Martinsville was the fact that, you know, he affected the championship race essentially. So you're going to be doing that again with Harvick. So that's something else to keep in mind here with that whole Dylan deal. 917-889-8280. Join the conversation here on Talking in Circles tonight. Um, Okay, so Edwards' victory puts him in the championship race at Homestead Miami Speedway with Jimmy Johnson at Martinsville. We'll talk about – we'll look at the other drivers in the chase. You obviously got Johnson who's in and Edwards who's in. Then you got Logano who is tied in the same amount of points with with. Jimmy Johnson and Kyle Busch. One point back is Kenseth. Two point back is Hamlin. Uh, 18 points back is Harvick. And then you got Kurt Busch, who is 34 points back. Basically, for Kurt Busch, he needs to win. Same thing with probably Kevin Harvick. You're probably right on that. They need, both need to win. If they, a Stuart Haas racing car wants to get into the chase, they're going to have to go, go to victory lane. Um, but my question to you is, John, give me your final two to join Jimmy Johnson and Carl Edwards. Uh, who do you got? I got Harvick until someone proves otherwise, because if you look at his last seven races at Phoenix, one, 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 two, one. He's won six of the last seven, and he finished second in the one he didn't, and it got rained out with Junior in the lead after a round of pit stops. I think until somebody can show that they can beat Kevin Harvick, I think Harvick wins this week. The only thing that can beat Harvick right now would be a failure on pit road or some sort of crazy thing that happens. I don't see – I mean, I think Harvick wins this race. You might as well just go in and hope like heck that somehow they miss it. But I have yet to see Slugger la- – I mean, um, not Slugger. I've yet to see Rodney Childers and Harvick not hit on Phoenix. I mean, they've been the fastest car there since they went to Stuart Haas together. 
Yep. And I think of the other ones, the most consistent has been Joey Logano. I mean, he's been fast. He's been on a rail. He's been doing well. He got bit by the rain because he would have caught Carl Edwards if it would have went the other 40 laps. And Absolutely. I think he's been more consistent in this round of the chase. I mean, he's been consistent throughout the chase. Kenseth has had his issues where he's okay. He hasn't been great. Kyle Busch hasn't been great. And Denny Hamlin's been all right. I mean, they've had their issues. Denny's going to end up setting the new NASCAR record for speeding penalties unless something crazy, yep. unless he really figures something out. And you just can't have 11 penalties for speeding, lose 11, I mean, go to the tail end of the longest line 11 times and expect to come back and win. I agree. I think that's, you know, that's why I'm Denny Hamlin advancing. I think, for whatever reason, this 11 team seems to have an, a crazy stuff go on when they're running up front. Now, I remember Martinsville a couple of years ago, he had a fuel pickup issue that kept him. He went from the back to the front three times, I believe, and wasn't able to finish. And that took his championship ho- hopes away. You remember the, the deal with uh, Mike Ford and Denny Hamlin a couple of years ago at Phoenix, a bunch of years ago at Phoenix now, um, where that, they, you know, just a, a miscommunication between them cost Hamlin the championship. It seems like something always goes wrong with Denny Hamlin. I agree with you. I think speeding on pit road is a big issue. I know he's trying to get everything he can possibly get, but when you're in a sort of a winner-take-all situation, which is which is what he's going to be on Sunday, you can you got to be perfect. You cannot speed on pit road. And if if you told me that a guy's setting a record for the most speeding penalties in NASCAR history, and I'm going to be picking him to sort of win the race and move on, I, I don't like that. I, I don't. Because I sit there and I go, well, who tell you know he's very likely to speed on pit road, much more likely than anybody else. So I'm not going to take him. Um, but it's very possible. Listen, I think about Hamlin. I think this is his type of racetrack. You know, I compare track uh, Phoenix, and maybe I'm wrong here, and maybe I shouldn't. But I compare Phoenix to Pocono, and I compare Phoenix to New Hampshire, both racetracks that Tenny Hamlin has had a lot of success on in his career, and he's run pretty good. He's only won once at Phoenix, but he's run pretty good here. Um, and that's sort of the reason why it's kind of stayed away from Kyle Busch, because Kyle's not a flat track guy. Uh, you know, we've seen him last year win some races that sort of surprised you because he's never done it in his career, but he's ha- historically has not run good in New Hampshire, has not run good at Pocono, and has not run good at Phoenix. Flat tracks and Kyle Busch just don't get along. And I think that's the reason why I'm staying away from them. I toyed between Logano and Kansas. I really did. I thought, I think it's a toss-up to me. You can pick it out of a hat. I think... I love what, where Logano is. They haven't run great, but I think that race at Texas was a big statement race for them. I think they're putting everything into that 22 car because Brad's not into the chase anymore. But I'm going to go with Kenseth. I think Kenseth is a guy who can win anywhere. Not that Logano can't, but he can win anywhere. I think he's with a, with a team that historically performs better on the shorter tracks than a Team Penske. Especially, I think when you think of Team Penske, you think of them more on a mile half. But, yeah, I, you know, it's a toss-up between Kenseth and Logano. I don't think I don't think I'm not going to call you crazy for going Logano, but uh, I just Kenseth's a veteran. He's been here before. I, I think he's a guy to keep an eye on. But yeah, so I got Harvick and Kenseth advancing. I think it's going to be a very interesting race because, like you said, Harvick is going to come in here and he's the dominant guy. He's the guy. You know, Daryl Walter had Bristol. David Pearson had Pocono. Dale Earnhardt had Daytona. Kevin Harvick has Phoenix. This is his racetrack. This is a place where he's dominated. And that's what's going to make this race very interesting. The only way I think Harvick loses this is if he he beats himself. And that four team has not done that a lot. They haven't done that too much. 
Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they do that on Sunday, John Harlow. Well, one of the things, the four team has had a habit of beating themselves, but it's been on pit road, and it's been during the regular season. And if you remember the championship year, Harvick was screaming about the crew. They flip-flopped his crew with Stewart's crew for the chase, had no problems at all, and raced to a championship. They didn't have a problem at all on pit road. Harvick was bitching about the crew all season long. They made some swaps with Danica's crew. They haven't had a problem on pit road the whole chase. So I think if there's any, if there's, if you want one guy to win a race when he has to, to get to the next round, since the elimination has started, Kevin Harvick's your guy. Dover last year, Phoenix in 2014, New Hampshire this year because he had a bad race at Chicago, won at New Hampshire. So if you want someone whose back's against the wall who both him and Rodney Childers have said they thrive on the pressure. Mm -hmm. Okay, buddy, you have 18 points you need to make up to get into the chase. The only way you're going to do that is probably win the race. I mean, you look, he finished seventh this past week, and he made up two points. (laughs) Right. And this is his best racetrack, the racetrack to do it on for sure, I think. Um, it, it's a very good point, John. They, they, when they're backed against the wall and they need a clutch victory, that four team seems to perform better than anybody in those situations, and I think they're going to do it again on Sunday. We have a call here. Hello, what's your name? Where are you calling from? <coughs> this is Lee in Virginia. Good Hi, to have you again, Lee. Night. I wanted to touch on the uh, the two drivers, my two drivers that I'm thinking of going to advance with, uh, Jimmy and, and Carl. Um, I think I'm on the line there with Clayton. Uh, you know, I think Kevin Harvick, I, I like what you said, John, uh, until he is beaten, you got to kind of almost treat it like the Atlanta Braves in the 90s in the National League East. Until somebody beats them, I'm going to pick them. And until somebody beats Kevin Harvick fair and square here in a full-distance race at Phoenix, I'm just going to continue to go with Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers there. Um, and then uh, I'm also going to go with Matt Kenseth. I think Matt is a solid driver and when things go wrong, Matt is one of those guys with a cool head who's a veteran now at 44 who can, can keep things in line and keep things in perspective. And uh, I think that'll be, all be ultimately be the difference. Clayton, you're right. I think the Penske cars are more known for uh, intermediates. They're better at they're better at Texas and, and, and all of those tracks. They're not really too great here at these short tracks. Now, Joey may do what he needs to do to try and win this thing, but um, I just think that Matt Kent is a guy with, with – I like his veteran presence – for the chase. Interesting, though, that none of us picked last year's champion. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's very interesting. But again, Lee, I think, you know, when you when we talk about him on a, uh, a flat track, I'm not sure that's the, when you think about it, you go, well, that's not the, exactly the best um, racetrack. Even Martinsville hasn't been the best racetrack for Kyle Busch in the past. Um, anything else you want to discuss on before we move on to our next topic, Lee, about anything we touched on earlier? Well, depending on what your next topic is, but I was just going to talk about Brian Scott and the retired. Yeah, that's uh, our next announcement that that knocked me off my feet this morning when I woke up. Um, You know, unbelievable that uh, Brian Scott, you know, who I think we all thought, you know, he's only, he's only a rookie. I know he's 28 years old, but he's a rookie in the sprint cup series. I think all of us thought um, the future for Brian Scott was, you know, I don't know if we could say bright, but, but definitely certain um, with, Mm -hmm. with, 
backing, and I guess Albertsons uh, decided to have other plans and pull out of the sport, and then Brian Scott was left without a sponsor. So um, right now, that's a, that's another ride open there at the 44 Richard Petty Motorsports, and um, it's a good ride, and it's a it's a pretty good ride, and I think it's going. I think it's a ride that could be better than what we've seen it the last two years. I think Sam Hornish Jr. under underachieved in that car. I think Brian Scott's underachieved in that car this year. Um, placements for Brian Scott are, are, are you know, going to be interesting to see who's going to drive that 44 car in 2017. Yeah, we'll touch on that in a little bit, Lee, but I agree. I was stunned this morning. You know, I, you know who called me this morning and told me, hey, woke me up out of dead sleep and said, Brian Scott's retiring. I couldn't believe it. I was like, are you kidding me? And I was almost as stunned as when somebody told me that Stuart Haas Racing was moving to Ford. Um, a, a stunning move. You know, he's running for Rookie of the Year this year. Uh, like you said, he had big-time sponsorship behind him. I know he's coming off a really disappointing year. He's 32nd in points right now. He's had a lot of issues on the track as far as uh, keeping the car straight. But, you know, he's a rookie, and he thought, well, he'll learn how to race these stock cars. They're different than the Xfinity cars when he's run with the last six years. He'll learn how to do better. He'll he'll do better, you know, and with sponsorship behind him, he'll do good. Um, but John Harlow, I was stunned. I, I'm still stunned this morning to see that um, – Brian Scott's out of a ride, uh, retiring at the end of the 2016 season. He said it was because um, he wants to spend more time with his family, and I have to respect that. I think that's that's, a, that's an honorable thing to do. Um, it, you know, he, he's uh, I believe he's got a couple of kids with his wife that he, that I should say when he married his wife, she had a couple of kids from a previous relationship, or at least one from a previous relationship, and uh, you know he wants to take care of them, and you have to respect that, and you have a, a guy who. No disrespect to him, but money's not an issue for him because he's got uh, family money behind him, and, and you know what? Good for him. Uh, so he doesn't need to stick around in the Spring Cup Series if he doesn't feel right doing it because of the money issues. So I think all this added up to a retirement, but it was very stunning news for me, John Harlow. Well, with the Brian Scott retirement, I think there's two things that go into it. Like you said, he's got the family money behind him, so he can go back to Shore Lodge and lead hunting trips and just enjoy life. The other thing is, if he had five wins and was a chase driver, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be retiring. I think it's a combination of two things. Yes, he does have a young family. Yes, he's a good father. The video that NBC or Fox ran the one year of how he proposed to his wife and how he asked her child first, it was a phenomenal love story in the way they do it. I mean, you've got to respect family. But I really think if he had five wins and he was a chase guy locked into Homestead, there would be no decision of whether or not he was going to retire or not. I think he was hoping to – he was a decent guy in the Xfinity Series running for Childress, but he was never anything to write home about. It just seemed like any time he had a chance to get a victory, he either got snake bitten, had a tire get cut, he'd plow the wall on his own, He'd over-aggressively do something, misses marks. He just, he's a good driver, but he's not somebody that you're going to put a boatload of money into. And I think the family business was, has basically said, okay, you've had this dream. We've been backing it for 10 years. It's time to come home and lead the hunting trips because I don't think we should spend this much money again for you to go play. Yeah, it's an interesting, you know, you have to assume that there was more to it than this. I, I do think there was more to it than that. I agree with you. Um, who knows the real story? We're only speculating here, but, you know, who knows? Uh, you know, 
And if again, I, he's honorable if he retired because you know if it was come down to strictly family. But it's interesting that Albertson's backed out as well. They said, you know what? Uh, even if Brian's retiring, we're backing out of the deal. So it makes you wonder if there was more to it because it would have been. Uh, more believable if Albertson says, we're going to stay, we're going to honor our contract, we're going to let Brian do what he wants to do, uh, we're okay with that, but we're going to honor our contract because we had a contract with Richard Petty Motorsports, uh, yada, yada, yada. So them backing out as well is very interesting. 917-889-8280, if you want to join the well, conversation here on Talking Circles. Lee, uh, you know, one more thing on this, guys. I, I, I wanted to get your opinions on this, too, is you know the chartering system right now, um, and this is going to pertain to Richard Petty Motorsports, but um, do do you guys think that maybe the, the chartering system has something to do with it, where if you're a team that's in the bottom three, three consecutive years in a row, you are at risk of losing your charter? Do you think that Richard Petty Motorsports looks at it and says, you know what, if we continue down this path, we could be at risk of losing our charter? Um, and And that has something to do with it, as well as, you know, he has torn up a lot of equipment this year. Where is the line between... Uh, right. You know, getting money from a, from a sponsorship, but how much of that can be used for research and development? I think a lot of it had to do with they're fixing race cars almost every single week with Brian Scott. Well, it's interesting because I, I think the first point about a, a, a charter, I'm not sure that was exact as much as, you know, RPM might be in some trouble. There's a lot of people out there saying, you know, Smithfield and Eric Amarola's deal runs through the 2017 season. That 43 cars and performed where they wanted to be. They, you know, remember a couple of years ago they made the chase. Last year they were very close to making the chase. This year they weren't even close to making the chase. They made a lot of internal changes with that race team. Uh, they got rid of Sammy Johns. They got rid of uh, Trent Owens, who was a crew chief at that 43 team. He was replaced by Drew Blickenster for Felipe Lopez took over uh, basically the general manager's role for Richard Petty Motorsports. This was a team that got away from the Rash. They, they used to be aligned with Rash Fenway Racing. Uh, they got away from that, and I think they looked at it and said, "Well, we kind of want to be a branch off, want to do our own thing," and it didn't work for them at all. They got they got beat up pretty good this year, and now uh, it looks like they're having some issues where they want to run better. And I think when they made these internal issues, they kind of made the commitment to try and get back to that Roush Fender relationship. Drew Bluck and Sturfer, he came from Roush Fender Racing. He's a guy who could help mend that that broken bridge between Roush Fender Racing. So that's something to keep an eye on. I think, John, that's a that's a major thing where they try to be, put, do what Stuart Haas is going to do next year and break off and do their own thing, but I don't think they had the resources. I don't think they – I think it kind of took them for a, a surprise because I don't think they had the initial resources and everything that they thought they were going to have to do that. Um, and I think it proved, proved a little bit tougher than what they originally thought. Well, one of the things when it comes to – the Petty Roush Fenway relationship. I think what Petty was trying to do was Roush Fenway has not been anything to write home about for the last three and a half years. And you look, the last time they won a race, Carl was in the car, and that was the only one Carl ran, and he struggled all year, which is part of the reason he went to Gibbs. Is if he saw a future and he saw fast cars, and if he was winning at Roush Fenway, he would have stayed loyal to Jack, but. It wasn't there, so Petty figured, okay, we'll hang our own bodies, we'll do our things there, and try to make it as independent as we can, because then they could start looking at, if they're going to do that, they could do the, we'll get our chassis from Penske, and do it, stay in the Ford camp, but possibly make a deal with Penske. 
I don't know yeah. where it's going from there. I don't think the I really don't think the charter system had anything to do with it because the way it's going right now, who's gonna how much is a charter really worth? Because about, about, they're not the really about four seventy five right now on the on the market. Yeah, it's and that's not $4.75, that right. So the charter system isn't a big deal of how much they're going to get for it or if they end up being pulled in the last – being in the – I think part of it is Albertsons and Shoreline, the family for Brian Scott, basically said, hey, we funded your dream for a long time, and it's really not showing anything, and we're losing money in the process, and it's – Dollars and cents. You can love your son all you want. It's a difference when you're Paul Menard and your dad's multi-billionaire. What he's spending on NASCAR, he can write off hmm. as an advertising expense. Yeah, and, and you know you have to wonder if there's a the pot is running low. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here to join the conversation on Talking in Circles. RPM has come out and they've come out and confirm they will run a second team next year, run a second car in that 44. Obviously, Amarola and Smithfield, like I said earlier, are um, cemented, ready to go for 2017. But this is going to be the fourth driver, guys, in four years in that number nine slash 44 car, and the second car for RPM. Remember, they had Ambrose in 2014, Horn last year, one-year deal, and then they hired Scott. And whoever they hire in 2017 – will be the fourth driver in that car in four years, which is hard to believe. And it makes you wonder, um, you know, I, I think we've seen a big uh, directional change in that organization. So I think they have to get this driver, whoever they hire, correct. I don't think they can they can screw this up. Um, and that's where I think they looked at it and they said, they want to prove, they want to sell Smithfield and sell to Eric Amarola. I think Smithfield is very happy with Eric, what, what Eric Amarola does. I think Smithfield believes in Eric Amarola. They, they might not believe in Rich Petty Motorsports. So if they see some improvement in 2017, from 2016, Smithfield might go, you know what, we like where we are. We're seeing some improvement. They, they made some internal changes. We're in good shape. We'll resign. Uh, but if they don't, I think Smithfield might look to go elsewhere, maybe with Eric Amarola, take him to go elsewhere. Now, where he might go, who knows? We'll worry about that in a year. But I think that's an option. So my question to you is, John, I'll bring it to you first, and then I'll let Lee answer. Uh, who do you think is going to be in this 44 car next year? I'll go out on a limb and go Bubba Wallace. Wow. Because he's a Ford driver. He's doing decent for Roush. There's no room for him in the Roush train because if Biffle moves from the 16, they're going to just pin Busher in there. Bubba has worked his way through. He's been decent. There's nobody who is a surefire lock that's going to hop into that 44 car because, in reality, it's plan B for Richard Petty Motorsports. It's not like there's one and 1A. It's like one and maybe four because they have put their money and their big stuff into the 43 car. You've no matter what, Eric Almarola can run decent. He'll run 15-20, and you still have the 9-44 throughout the time. They've been running 25-30. And I don't see anybody who's going to jump into either of, either of those cars. Eric Almarola has done a good job surviving in the 43. But if you look since Richard left, they've not had a driver 
that's really lit up the place in any of their cars except the one year that they became partners with George Gillette and they wound up with Casey Kane still in the nine. Mm-hmm. They haven't had anything to write home about. Richard Petty Motorsports has been a backmarker team since Richard Petty retired. Yeah, well, you know, and you can argue that they're two different teams, but either way, you're absolutely correct on that. Uh, Richard Petty Motorsports has not performed the way that uh, that they you would a big team does. Um, they only got one win in the last five years, probably, and that was a, a range short and super speedway win with Eric Amarola. Um, and there's not a ton of drivers out there who have won a ton of races. You know, I'm not sure Greg Biffle, if, if this option was pre- presented to him, I'm not sure Greg Biffle would take this ride because he's in a 16 car. Um, I'm not sure Biffle, who I think he'd rather just retire than run in the in the back, and it might take a year or two for this team to really kind of get their feet under them and then maybe figure out where they want, you know, if they get a little bit of sponsor behind them, maybe contend for top 15s and then top 10s. Uh, Lee, who do you have getting in this car? You know, there's a lot of, I saw a lot of names thrown around on Twitter today. Um, who do you have driving that 44 next year? Well, I think Bubba's an interesting choice, because John, because they want to mend the fences with Vash Fenway Racing, and that would be one way to do so, is to bring in Daryl Wallace Jr., but you know, the last two years, this team has really taken chances on drivers. I think Sam Hornish Jr. was kind of a flyer. This was uh, Sam Hornish Jr. was a guy who was getting really his third chance in the Sprint Cup Series. Didn't do a great job, but I think did a better job than what Brian Scott's done this year. And then they take a flyer on a rookie driver with Brian Scott, who brought funding to the team, crashed, has crashed a lot this year. And I think they want somebody in here who's a veteran, who, a guy who can stabilize the team, not tear up equipment, give back good some some good feedback, and that leaves two names who look like they don't have rides for 2017. And those names have been kind of uh, they're they're funny because they're they're very close. One of them is Regan Smith, and the other one is David Reagan. Uh, you know, David Reagan has proven he can win at super speedway races. He's proven he can win in cars that don't run up front all the time at super speedway races, as we saw with Front Row Motorsports a couple of years ago at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, this 44 car just finished second last couple of weeks ago at Talladega Super Speedway. I think a lot of people believe that if David Reagan was in that car, they probably could have won the race. Um, so that's a promising thing for Richard Petty Motorsports, where if you can win a plate race and get yourself into the chase, boy, you can sell that to Smithfield and to a sponsor. Um, and Regan Smith has proven he, you know, he's won at Darlington. He won that race in Talladega in 2008. Uh, and to me, um, I think that Regan Smith's the guy who's proven over the course of his career that he won't care up equipment. Remember, when he was driving for Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, he didn't have a full-time sponsor on that team, and they weren't sure if they were mm-hmm. going to run the full schedule. But Regan Smith kept the car off the wall enough to be able to get them to run the full schedule on that zero-one car. So um, and that was, you know, almost 10 years ago now, but Regan Smith hasn't changed very much other than he's, I think he's more of a polished driver at this stage in his career. So those are two names that I think are very possible for Richard Petty Motorsports. Yeah, I like that. I, I think uh, Regan Smith's a very good option. I like Regan as well. But a name that I heard thrown around this morning, and I, I was intrigued by it, but I don't think it's going to happen unless there's a manufacturer change. And I think we're too late in the game to change manufacturers at Richard Petty Motorsports. But it's an interesting name to toss up because here's a guy who has substituted for Dale Earnhardt Jr. He's done a decent job. I think a lot of people know what like what they've seen from Alex Bowman so far. And he's a guy who 
you know what? He, he's he's all in at Hendrick Motorsports. He's got these next two races to really show what he can do. A couple of good runs, he might be able to sell himself to a team like Rich Benning Motorsports, who says maybe we'll get a nice young driver who who um, you know we'll get we, we kind of a diamond in the rough a little bit. We'll we'll get him to where he can really um, get his finally finally get the experience of a Cup team underneath his belt a little bit um, and really shine under under the right format. And maybe Rich Benning Motorsports will be that right team for Alex Bowman. I heard that name earlier this morning. I was intrigued by it because he's a guy who could definitely, um, you know, be be in that car, do a pretty good job. I think he's done a very good job for Dale Earnhardt Jr. this year. He's had some rotten luck in that 88 car, uh, no doubt about it. But Alex Bowman's another guy who I can see in that car. You know, there's other names out there where I'm trying to think. You know, Brian Vickers. I don't see Vickers doing that. I'm not sure he's healthy. You know, the guy's won five races in two years in the Cup Series. I, I don't see that them going that way. Although Vickers is a very talented driver, he's won a lot. In a cup, he's won three or four times in a Cup Series, so he knows how to win. Um, and he might take that ride, but you know he's such a toss-up for somebody who might run a full deal because you don't know what's going on with these blood clots. Um, so uh, listen, and I said it before, guys. John, I want to get your opinion on it. RPM could be in trouble. You know, I think RPM. You look at him, and and they, like I said, they let Sammy Johns go. Had, brought in. Uh, Felipe Lopez for that role. Let Chen Owens go. Brought in Drew Blickensdurfer, who's a guy, like I said, who was at Roush Fenway Racing, did a very good job at Roush Fenway. Um, you know, when the EPS left, uh, Blickensdurfer was kind of left without a job there. Um, but, again, I, I think it's it's huge this year for them to get this right. I think Reagan's a, a good a good hire. I think Reagan Smith's a, a great hire. And I think maybe Alex Bowen might be somebody to take a shot on as well. But I think they have to get this right because I think Smithfield is going to get a little impatient, and rightfully so. They've been there. They want to win races. They want to run good. And I think Smithfield's going to sit there and go, you know what, time to kind of uh, to win races and see some major improvement in this team. And I think adding a driver who knows these race cars, who's a veteran, who knows what's going on, who can run up front and help Eric Amarillo on the 43 team, John, I think that's that would be a huge hire for these guys. I think – David Reagan probably is out as a possibility because Richard Petty does have a short memory. And if you remember a couple of years ago, David Reagan was all but in that car. And I guess they had some sort of money issues where they said, uh, we'll just, we'll go in a different direction or David wanted more money or something. I don't remember how it went, but Reagan was all, David Reagan was all but signed for that car and it didn't happen. I think Regan Smith would be a good driver for that car, but also you thought Regan Smith would have been an improvement over Alex Bowman in the seven, and he hasn't been. Regan Smith has actually gone backwards in the seven compared to where Alex Bowman was last year. I think Alex Bowman is intriguing, but I also think Alex Bowman is going to sit back and wait to make sure Dale Jr. gets cleared. Because if he doesn't get cleared, Nationwide's already happy with him so far. Mountain Dew's happy with him so far. He's done well in that 88. I think Rick Hendrick would like to have him on the bench ready to go. But then again, if that was the case, you would have thought they would have put him in one of the now four cars at Junior Motorsports instead of taking Michael Annette and the sponsorship that comes with it. I thought if the way Alex Bowman has performed in that 88 car, I thought they would have found a home for him at JR Motorsports. Uh, John, so, that's a good point. 
because, you know, and you can even say this, one more major head injury, and Alex Bowman could be back in that car too in the 88 as well, even if Dale is cleared. One more big hit, and you never know what's going to happen. I'll tell you, the way yeah, the way sure. things are sitting right now with all the charters that are possibly out there, with the 7 car possibly going away, the 32 car possibly going away, um, the split, be, I mean, the 46 going away, the 15 going away, we're getting to the point again where we have more, we're going to have more charters and car owners. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Wood Brothers will probably pick up one. The 77 with Eric Jones will pick up one. Um, if JTG Doherty can put everything together and get the second car together, they may grab one. There's still an open charter out there. And we're, we're getting to the point, and this is something I've talked about many, many times, ownership's getting old. And where's the people to come in behind them? Yeah, you can have these charters, but these are these people aren't racers. I mean, one of the things with Andrew Merstein, who's basically the guy behind Richard Petty Motorsports, as long as he wants to spend the money, he'll keep playing in NASCAR. But until he decides it's not a good financial investment anymore, that I've poured more good money after bad, and then he jumps ship, that Richard Petty Motorsports team's gone. You can have all the charters you want. You're not really making anything out of it. You're still selling everything at pennies on a nickel. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I think a lot of teams are seeing the handwriting on the wall right now that you're right. I think we we have more car owners right now than charters and, what, and teams that want charters. Uh, I agree with that. Lee, anything else you want to add tonight that you saw over the, the course of the, the night at uh, Texas or uh, over the last week? I just think it's going to be an interesting race at Phoenix. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a fun track. I want the Camping World Truck Series, uh, who advances in that series, the Xfinity Series, who advances in that series. Uh, one thing that's intriguing for me in the Camping World Truck Series is Timothy Peters. Um, he does not have a win this year. It would it'd be interesting for me to see whether or not Peters can advance into the next round, into the championship round, uh, and then maybe even try and win the championship at Homestead without a win. That would be very interesting in the opening uh, uh chase format for the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Um, and so the Xfinity Series, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun as well. I, I, you know, As much as people hate this chase, I think it's helped those two series immensely with their championship run. Um, and, and it's put more emphasis on the on the guys who are running for points in those two series. Yeah, I think uh, it gives more teams a shot to run for the championship. Absolutely. I think that's, that's definitely a, a very good point. You know, and Johnny Sauter, I'll tell you what, you know, he's he's got to be the favorite in that truck series right now. I mean, GMS seems to be uh, really figuring things out at the right time. You know, Spencer Gallagher sat on the pole last week, um, you know, and Sauter won at Martinsville. He won again at Texas. He's been very, very good. Um, so, yeah, I totally think it's going to be very interesting to watch. Crafton's a guy who, you know, he's won the championships a couple times before. He knows what he's doing. Um, I absolutely think, you know, he can – go out there and, and, and do a great job as well. But you're right, it'll be interesting to see who advances because Timothy Peters, like you said, hasn't won all year. They've shown some nice signs, but they struggled at times as well this year. Um, so, yeah, that's a very, very interesting um, scenario they got there. Byron as well, you know, he's been probably the top dog, but I'm not sure that team's been the same since Byron announced he was going to leave. Uh, so very interesting to see what's going to happen 
in the Camping World Truck one Series thing, as well. Go one ahead. more thing about the Xfinity Series is can the Cinderella story of Blake Cook make it all the way to Homestead by the Speedway? I think that would be yeah, awesome I, considering they started the team in mid-January. I think that would be phenomenal, mm-hmm. especially when you've got um, – it just is amazing the way that kid has performed. I'd like to be honest with you. I'd love to see where the Joe Gibbs racing team gets shut out. I'd love to see the two junior <laughs> motorsports teams. I'd love to see Blake cook and pick anybody else that's available. I'd like to see the joke. I'd like to see Daniel Suarez and Eric Jones, not make the chase, not make Homestead just because of the way Kyle Busch talked after he won, saying, yeah, I won to make sure none of the other guys could. And I just would be loved to see the Joe Gibbs racing guys sit. Hey, I just I was just reading something a couple minutes ago. Ryan McGee has a great piece on ESPN.com talking about Stewart's checkered legacy. And he puts in here, with a few races to go in his NASCAR career, Stewart isn't so much planning on 17, but he's counting down to the end of 16. He's unhappy with the current state of the sport. He hates the cars, hates the chase format, hates what he sees as NASCAR's inability to right the downward popularity curve. What do you guys think? Listen, Stewart's never a guy to uh, not speak his mind, and it's – listen – I know a person, and I think you know him too, John. I don't know if you saw his post on Facebook this week, where Tony Stewart was ticked off, to say the least, to put it mildly, after Texas. He had a horrific, horrific run. 31st, was out the lunch, you didn't even realize, no, he was there. If you didn't know that Tony Stewart was there, you would not have known he was there. That's how terrible he ran in. For whatever reason, you know, maybe it's the fact that he doesn't like these race cars, downforces, you know, whatever the reason – he, it was it was a it was a terrible terrible race for him. I think he's extremely frustrated. That's something to keep in mind. You know, this is a guy who, yeah, he won a road course race earlier in the year, but he hasn't really won a, uh, a completely dominated a cup race in a long, long time now. I think the rules package has gotten away from him a little bit from his what he does well. Um, but there are some things that you know there is a down. This sport is in a downward spiral a little bit here, and I do think you know it. You get to a scary scenario because I don't know how you guys feel about it, but Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s comments over the last couple of weeks have been interesting because he's definitely coming back for 2017, but he's not mentioned a word about 2018. And you have to sit there and go, wow, this sport could lose Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. in back-to-back-to-back years. Dale might retire at the end of the 2017 season. I think that's very interesting. Maybe he wants to get a grip on where he is mentally and where he is uh, physically, I should say with the concussions, and he'll figure that out by 2017 and let Rick and everybody know whether he's going to race or not. Um, but if he says, you know what, I'm not sure I want to risk that, he could be gone. And this sport has really, would really, it would be really take a turn if there's no longer an Earnhardt, Tony Stewart's gone. Three of the most popular drivers this sport's seen in the last 25 years are out and retired. Um, I think that would be a it's a scary proposition for him. It really is. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Lee? Well, I think there's a lot of things that NASCAR is bad at. Um, there's, and one of the big things that they've been really bad at in the last 15 to 20 years is promoting. Um, Jimmy Johnson's a six-time series champion. Jimmy Johnson's a really good guy. Jimmy Johnson is everything you want your champion to be. He's not a jerk. He's nice to the fans. And nobody even knows outside of the sport, nobody knows who the hell he is. 
Uh, you know, you could walk down the street, nobody would know that that's a six-time NASCAR Spring Cup Series champion. Yeah, a six-time NASCAR Spring Cup Series champion. Nobody would even know that. Um, and, and, you know, you got to understand, they didn't promote Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart had a name for himself before he came to NASCAR. Uh, if you look at the big names that are currently in the sport, Dale Earnhardt Jr., that wasn't anything that NASCAR promoted. He's, he got he got a lot of recognition because of his father, and then, of course, after his father died, his popularity really picked up. Um, and that's it with the huge names that are in this sport that, um, you know, currently right now, Jeff Gordon was one that they did promote. Jeff Gordon was one that they did do well, but that was going on now 20, 25 years ago. So, um, to me, they need to get their marketing team to figure out how to promote these young drivers better. And it's been a problem for 10, 15 years, and we've ignored it. And we sat there and we said, oh, well, you know, they really don't need this. They really don't need uh, to do this. And I think that Dale Earnhardt Jr., Tony Stewart, Danica Patrick, uh, Jeff Gordon have carried them this whole way over the last 15 years. And now that these drivers are leaving, we need to be able to promote these drivers that are within the sport right now. So we got a lot of cool guys here. we got, you know, a lot of good young drivers and Chase Elliott, Brian Blaney, and all of these guys, and nobody really knows who these people are. Kyle Larson's another good young driver, a nice, nice young driver, you know, can, can bring in a lot of the dirt crowd, the, the true race fans that, that know Kyle Larson, know that he's a good dirt racer. A lot of those guys that we can promote in this sport that NASCAR has totally missed the boat on the last 10, 15 years, they really, really need to fix that in order to get back into where they were 10 years ago. And I'll say this. I think um, also when you think about uh, NASCAR as a whole, you know, you bring up a good point. I I think what made this sport so great, when you think about 90s, you had a lot of guys with big personalities. Jimmy Spencer was was Mr. Excitement. He always seemed like there was, you know, had something exciting around him. Rusty Wallace, they called him Rubberhead. He had a big personality. Ricky Rudd had a big personality. Dale Earnhardt, of course. You know, it seemed like Ricky Rudd, Jeff Bodine, Dale Earnhardt had some issues with both of those guys for a while. And this is something they've tried to do with Have At It Boys. I think they've looked at ha- they, when they originally went to, quote, unquote, Have At It Boys, they tried to get back to that where kind of let the drivers be themselves a little bit. But I think that's they completely pulled the reins back on that. And – and now they've come off, you know, you got like you mentioned, good young drivers. Another young driver you forgot to mention there is Joe Logano. Joe Logano has done a great job in this sport. He's a nice kid, um, and, but his personality, you know, it, it's it's sort of normal. You know, it's nothing. It's nothing too interesting. Um, so I think that's another. And thing, how much you know, do you think of that? Kyle Busch and Brad Keselowski, Bastros kind of shut these guys up over the last right. few years. Well, right, exactly. And we're going to lose our live audience here in forty-five seconds. So. Uh, go to speedwaymedia.com and click on the little Talking in Circles button to listen to this show if you want to continue it. Go to our Facebook or our Twitter page as well. We'll have it on there. We're going to lose our, lose our live audience in 30 seconds here. But, um, yeah, I think all that, guys. I think all that, and, and maybe that's what Tony's saying. I think Tony, where Tony's very frustrated, John Harlow, I think where he's very frustrated, and he's mentioned this a bunch of times before, is the fact that Brian France does not walk around that garage area. I think that bothers him because he grew up in the, you know, not a lot of guys remember Bill France Jr. Um, you know, Dan Dale Jr. and Tony Stewart and, and Matt Kenseth maybe. Those are a handful of guys who remember how Bill France Jr. reigned over this sport. Brian France has been a, a part of this for a long time now, 
And the fact that he doesn't walk around the garage area, I think that really bothers Tony Stewart. And I think that's why he's seen outspoken as much as he is. Well, the other thing you also, whenever big, whenever Bill France Jr. Uh, started getting sick and started passing reins over before it got to Brian, you notice he put Mike Mike Helton in charge. And you don't see Mike Helton right. around too much anymore. Not much I mean, anymore. once in a while nope. you'll see Mike Helton bouncing around, but he's not the Brian France. Um, He's not in the Brian France camp. I think Mike Helton is now back to us. He's basically a figurehead ceremonial position. He doesn't really have that much pull in the sport. And it's not like there – it doesn't seem like there's a bunch of racers there anymore. I mean, you looked at the people who used to be in charge of competition. It was Gary Nelson. Why was Gary Nelson there? Because he's the biggest cheater NASCAR ever had. So if you're going to find out how to beat the cheaters, you get the biggest cheater ever and put him in charge of your competition. And whenever Gary went away, Robin Pemberton. Robin Pemberton could cheat just as good as Gary Nelson did. And when Robin went, now you've got Scott Miller. Scott Miller was always a nice guy, super engineer. You never heard of any Scott Miller cheating scandals. So basically it's not the same. You don't have the racers running it. I mean, like I said, when it comes to ownership down the road, when the Roger Penske's decide, I've got billions of dollars and I'm tired of going to racetracks every week, that'll never happen. But if he ever does or dies, you lose a racer. Joe Gibbs, Mm -hmm. football coach, wanted to be a racer. Stewart and Gene Haas, racers. Richard Childress, racer. Richard Petty, racer, with money behind him, but he's a racer. Roush was a racer. And you saw it when Robert Yates couldn't continue in the business. It's starting to get that way, and we don't know who the next group is. And they've made it impossible for the Xfinity guys to come up because they just bring more cup guys down there, and we're going to dominate that series. How do you get the next teams to grow through the Xfinity series and become cup teams like they used to? It isn't there. Yeah, and we're going to have to wrap this up. Conversation is unfortunate. It came so late in the show. We're going to have to wrap this up in the next two or three minutes here. But I want to get a final word from Lee in Virginia as well about this. Lee, what are your final thoughts? I mean, I think John Harlow brings up a great point about the Xfinity series. Um, You know, they say names are made here, but you don't really see a lot of young kids winning in the Xfinity series anymore. Well, it's not only just that. He's right about the ownership where, you know, this year is a great story with Bax Hollig and Colleg Racing, but how long is that going to last with Stuart Haas adding an Xfinity car next year, uh, Team Penske adding another Xfinity Series team, Premier Motorsports adding two Xfinity Series teams next year? How much can that even last through next year? I don't, I don't think it will. Uh, and so with these cup teams, not, not you know, no Xfinity team really able to grow into a cup team. Uh, you know, the last thing to do that has been was Curtis Keen and Motorsports Group. I mean, that, that they're hardly a cup team at this point. So, I mean, it, where do these next batch of owners come through? I think the rules package, though, is what's really hurt Tony, uh, taking the speed out of the race cars. You know, Tony loves the speed, loves to be able to carry its speed into the corner, and, and that's where he's better than anybody. I think that's really hurt him. That's where he's frustrated. And you guys brought up a good point about Brian Frank. He's not walking around that garage area. Mike Hill's not walking around that garage area. And I think the people that they have there, the Steve O'Donnells, um, if they tell them and it goes right over their heads because they they're not racers, and I don't know how much of that gets back to Brian France, where they don't, where you know these guys who are underneath him, how the drivers can't even talk bad about the sport. Um, so 
imagine being a, a figure head underneath the boss who will say, hey, you know what, so-and-so is unhappy with this. Um, I just think that, you know, Tony can tell somebody who's at the garage area who works for an NASCAR, oh, I don't like this, and does that ever get back to the guy making the decisions? I don't know. It's a good, it's very good point. Of, back in the day, if Dale Earnhardt walked into the holler and said to Big Bill, hey, we got a problem, NASCAR looked at it. They at least, if worse come to worse, they at least gave them lip service to say they looked at it instead of just blowing them off. And that's one of the things you don't see anymore. Tony said, you hear him, he's, I, I talk, I talk, I talk. If you saw the text I get through the driver's group text they have, nobody's willing to say anything, but Tony does, and it goes on deaf ears. And that's yeah. what's going to kill the sport. I think uh, the, the only bright spot is the driver's, have kind of formed a council sort of um, and maybe that's where they can kind of hash out this stuff and talk to Brian France directly um, so yeah I think that's something that is positive in it but I think there still needs to be that guy to sort of lead them I think Tony Stewart was that guy to sort of lead these people and now these drivers and now they he's leaving there'll be nobody to lead him I want to thank Lee from, from Virginia for helping us out tonight he did a, or calling the show he did a great job he brought up a lot of good points there Always a great call. John Harlow, great job as well from SpeedwayMedia.com. All you listening, I appreciate you, and have a great night. We'll see you next week as we get ready for the championship race at Homestead Miami Speedway. Good night, everybody.